0: Support for this podcast comes from Diversity Fund. Diversity Fund is an investment platform that allows everyday Americans the opportunity to invest directly into commercial real estate deals with the goal to help close the wealth gap and enable all Americans the ability to achieve financial freedom. Go to www.diversityfund.com and use the offer code U.S. when you sign up for an account and receive a $20 gift card when you make your first investment. That's diversifund.com, D-I-V-E-R-S-Y-F-U-N-D.com.
1: Now back into the show. And so, picking a jurisdiction to set your protection system up in is a really big issue, no matter what state or country you live in. Um, what jurisdiction means is that the laws and the rules that govern, you know, you and trusts and business entities are all different from one jurisdiction to another, one state to another, one country to another.
0: Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Brian Bradley. Brian is a leading educator and asset protection attorney for high-risk business professionals, entrepreneurs, and real estate investors. Brian's firm focuses on adding value for clients and educating them on what they don't realize they don't know. What Brian does for his clients is act as an advisor and focuses on setting up systems and strategic teams to protect your assets and manage your wealth. The goal is lifestyle preservation, peace of mind, along with better tax planning, risk management, and decreasing your taxable estate. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show to share his incredible knowledge and experience, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Brian.
1: Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Doing great. Thanks, Reed, for having me on and putting this podcast together and uh, this really is a confusing topic, and I know some of your listeners are even international foreigners investing in the U.S., so we even got some good information for them and your U.S.-based listeners on you know asset protection. And I awesome. just hope I can add some value to them and help them get their way through this maze.
0: Yes. I, I, I. Before we press record here in the green room, we were talking a little bit about the cool things that you're up to. and. You know, for those listeners out there I'm wanting to a little bit of a tidbit of what today's show is going to be about, it's going to be all about um, understanding how to mitigate your risk in terms of tax liability uh, whilst and, and protecting your assets. And, and that includes offshore accounts um, and that sort of the, 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 the demystifying myths about putting you know, money offshore and what that means if you're based here in the United States or if you're based internationally. But Brian, before we dive into the nuts and bolts, let's rewind the clock. Let's get a little bit of understanding of who you are and what makes you tick. Tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid.
1: Yeah. So I'm originally from Lake Tahoe. And so I made my first dollar just going out and shoveling neighbors' snows and balconies and roofs. And it was just a good way to get a quick 1500 bucks, you know, for the day and, you know, save up for a snowboard or snowboarding boots or whatever you wanted to go and
0: get. <laughs> and mate, so to walk me through, you know, your background and going through college and, and really link the pieces of of, of that that early childhood hustle to where you are today and, and the the firm that you've established?
1: Yeah, no problem. Um, so, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit for me was always there. I just like going out and I don't like spending money as much as saving money. And uh, so that was always like, oh, I can go get my snowboard, but I can just keep doing what I'm doing and putting it away. <laughs> and I've played a lot of sports and, you know, that, uh, what is it, that drive just turned into school went to Arizona State for my undergrad and kind of had no idea what I wanted to do with my life and my mom was like why don't you go take a philosophy class like you really are going to do good in philosophy and fell in love with logic and reasoning and reading and um, my teacher was like hey why don't you come follow me for a doctorate in philosophy I'm like well I can teach at any time like I'd rather go and make money so let me go to law school and see how that works out first And uh, went to a small law school because I didn't want to get debt, you know, collect a lot of debt. And so I was able to go to a small school in Santa Barbara, Southern California Institute of Law. I interned during the day at the district attorney's office for three years, actually four years there. And then um, did a, 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 what is it, a study abroad for a year in Australia. Oh, wow. Yeah, in Sydney, law and technology, which added the extra year of law for me, came back and the economy is completely tanked. I came out of law school in 2008. And so there's, you know, I was going to get a job at the district attorney's office as a prosecutor and like, hey, Brian, sorry, you know, like we're on a hiring freeze and the whole state of California is on a hiring freeze. So I kind of had to just pivot from there and take my energy and transition it into civil law. And then the economy trickled into civil firms and all the civil firms were going upside down and so my entrepreneurial spirit said, I just need to work and I need to get in the court. And so I literally went to a bunch of nonprofit organizations. And one of them was Neighborhood Legal Services out of Los Angeles. I'm like, listen, you guys have a lot of clients who need an attorney to represent them. And no one has money and no one's taking on these kind of cases. You front the cost, I'll do it for free. And they're like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I need experience. I need to get into court. And so for those like, three years, you know, thank God, you know, my, my parents were able to help out. And my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife, um, was a nurse and had a really good stable career. And she kind of knew what I needed to do. And I had 300 cases, you know, within a couple years span and more litigation and trial work than most 30 year professionals. And to segue that into what I do now, I just got tired of seeing so many clients coming in the door, just you know, being sued and their lives just turned completely upside down, and not knowing what to do and not having any protection set up beforehand. And so, what I wanted to do was add value to those clients and then prevent them from predatory lawsuits or how to you know take the risk off the table and spread it around um, and get ahead of the game. And so, like you said in the promo, you know, like what I do is. It just advanced state planning and strategic planning, focusing on setting up systems and teams for clients that generally outgrow uh, the entry-level base LLC, and then we're setting up t- uh, systems that follow an easy acronym, ECCM, and that stands for Effectiveness, Control, Cost, and Maintenance. Those are kind of the four things anybody who is investing and they're looking to set up an asset protection system would be looking for in the system. And so when they're talking to different lawyers or um, thinking through different structures, you just remember, and we can break that down in more detail a little bit later, but is it effective? You know, what kind of control do I have? What are the costs and what are the maintenance fees on this? Right. And we just try to throw all this together um, while keeping in mind our overall goal really for asset protection. is just lifestyle preservation. I want to be able to continue living my life, how I live it. And I want peace of mind if something did happen that I can sleep well at night. Yeah, that's what we do. Awesome.
0: Well, the the thing that I took out of that little introduction was you went and worked for free for three years. Like you just knocked on the door and said, I know people need my help. I need to get exposure. And I think that's really kudos to you for rolling up the sleeves and getting involved and understanding that it's going to lead to um, a longer term future in this in, in the law industry, which is now segued into you know obviously your own your, your practice and, and and educating people about the benefits of, of asset protection. So, um, so so awesome, well done, and, and good on to your wife for for, for, for supporting you for those three right. years. Living in Los Angeles is not cheap either, so um, no, it, yeah.
1: it's not, and especially in those times. And you know, like we did a little bit of moving around, you know, during that time, just because we're like, okay, we need to get away from the costs. Um, but for what I do, I can do it anywhere. And it was good to branch out. Like we moved to Michigan, so it was good to branch out and learn different areas of, you know, the jurisdictions and laws there and real estate law. And so it really, awesome. it, you know, long-term view, you know, if you stick to it, it's going to pay out
0: eventually. Long-term view, love it, love it. And, and tell me a little bit about your year in Australia. How did you enjoy it? Did you pick up any uh, any Aussie lingo? I
1: didn't go to, uh, you know, Australia that swearing that much, and I came <laughs> back with what I think the filthiest mouth ever and it took a long time to get away just in my general discourse you know it was almost you know dropping a lot of f-bombs from my bosses just walking down the street from court is like oh my god you guys are such filthy mouth but it's all good fun you know
0: it is all in good fun it's a very yeah. descriptive word the uh F U C K, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't add emphasis to it without you know dropping a bit of an F bomb, exactly. So, um, but you pick, would you go to any uh, sports? You know, rugby or rugby yeah, union? Yeah, went to
1: some rugby games and did some surfing. Um, and went then to Bondi, go. I imagine Bondi. Bondi Beach, yeah, Bondi, and yeah. So I had a great time. Went to, awesome. to the Great Barrier Reef, did some scuba diving and everything. So it was a great, great experience.
0: Awesome, man. Well, well, yeah, it's it's, it's a great experience for anyone listening out there who thinks that they want to go to Australia, just studying abroad in Australia is top-notch. So um, you get the you know, English language, you get to hang out on the beach and you get to uh, swear at the same time. So, so yeah. <laughs> but mate, let's break it down into the nuts and bolts of what you do because you mentioned something before which I thought was quite interesting. The entry-level LLC and everyone just goes and shoves a bunch of properties or assets into those LLCs and they think they're good.
1: Yeah, what is they're the a great lim- place
0: to start. Yeah, yeah what's, what's the limiting you know, why do everyone just start there? And maybe you can break it down in terms of why we start there. And then at what point should you move up into something more advanced where coming to to talk to someone like yourself when you have more to protect and more at stake?
1: Yeah, so the LLC or limited liability company, like we just said, is a great entry point to establish some basic level protection. Um, And if you're trying to protect just a few assets or a few door, um, it's, it's great. The costs are going to be cheaper to establish and to set up. Um, but like it says in the very first word in, in it, you know, like limited, you're going to have limited protection of it. And so as you grow, you're going to have to realize you're creating more and more equity. You're growing more and more and more assets. And it gets to a point to where you're going to have to add another LLC, then another LLC and all that's going to start being expensive. And so it makes more sense to streamline. Once you get to about that, you know, 1.5, 2 million um, net worth range, you outgrew a traditional LLC. And if you were to put all of your assets, let's say you had four or five units into one LLC and it got pierced, which is an argument called the piercing the corporate veil. Um, you go into a court, the, you know, you make an argument of commingling assets, or you're using that LLC as an extension of yourself and not a business. What's going to happen is the court is going to say, Hey, this isn't an actual business. It's just an extension of you. We're going to pierce through and get to all that equity and all those assets to pay off a uh, claim. And that's the problem as you start growing and acquiring more wealth is you're opening yourself up for more and more liability and access to those funds so that we got to start doing more strategic and advanced planning. And um, I always say there's a uh, thing called full protection or maybe protection. Full protection is kind of using exemptions, which we'll get to later on, because exemptions are legal rights. There's nothing you need to do. As long as it can be recharacterized in an exemption, you're protected. Maybe protection is maybe I'm protected, maybe not. I don't know. It depends on the judge, the facts, the circumstances. And those kind of fall in with LLCs, series LLCs and those. You know, like we don't know what's going to happen. Maybe the veil will be pierced, maybe not. They're a great place to start on cost and maintenance, but that's not going to be your end game if your game is, you know, your end game is to keep growing your portfolio.
0: Got it. Got it. It's And so what point... Do we come to where LLCs you out, we outgrow the LLC? Is there like a, a typical figure you see? You know, a million dollars net worth, you know, ten million dollars net worth, a hundred million dollars yeah. net worth. What what's that sort of um, good tipping point?
1: Great question. I I generally run with the thumb of it's going to be California side, five hundred thousand dollars or less in an LLC because then it's going to start opening you up to more um, exposure and liability if you were to be pierced. Um, I say. California aside, because there's no way you can own one property essentially in California under $500,000. So, you know, like that, you would probably say like a million, two million um, for a California LLC. And then you got to start either adding another LLC and another LLC. Um, so once you hit that 1.5, you know, $3 million net worth range, you need to start looking into what exemptions work for me. Um, do I need to go into an asset protection trust, which will be more streamlined and then I can pick up better tax benefits um, this can help then avoid some estate tech, you know, state planning, um, not avoid, but add a- extra elements of estate planning um, jurisdiction selections. Then on, if I have high visibility, I need to then get put into a stronger jurisdiction versus just, you know, a state LLC. So that's kind of that level when you need to start thinking about advanced planning. So,
0: so roughly a million and a half to three million dollars worth of of, of worth of property, um, or or maybe um, in that range. You mentioned the word visibility. What what do you mean by visibility? Is it online visibility, so people can come and come after you, or does it more mean? uh, Did you have another definition for it?
1: I just think the more you own, the more you have, the more visible you are, you Got know? It. And so your rent, you're, you don't you own your property, someone's renting it. If they're gonna get, wanna sue somebody, well, I'm gonna sue my landlord. You know, mm-hmm. they must have money They're on this property. Something happened here, I'm coming after you. Um, your neighbors will know how much you have. I can research you on the, online and find out how much you're essentially worth or what you own. So that's why we wanna create spheres of anonymity and privacy with what you own, which goes into asset protection. Um, So that's really what we mean by visibility: is the more you own, the more you have, the more other people are going to know, also, which then means the bigger target you're going to have on your back, and you just want to create more realms of separation from you and that personal liability. If you ever were that unlucky person to get sued. Got it.
0: And so, what's the next step after the LLC? What's the the natural progression? Are are you jumping straight into, you know, talking with you, Brian, and, and saying, hey? Let's give me the wham bam, thank you, ma'am, and everything in between the, you know, the full, the full bucket of of protection. Um, or is it something more of a stepped or a tiered approach to get to that ultimate, you know, ironclad chest that no one can pierce through?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think the first entry level, so you go in a couple of different stages. So like the first one, your million dollars net worth or less, you know, you can get it around with one LLC and a land trust. Um, you get up to that 1.5 to million range, you can probably be comfortable dividing up your net worth and your assets into those two LLCs. Once you get to about that 3.5 million net worth, you have enough assets and wealth accumulated to where now you're going to substantially grow faster because you have more money to invest in. Um, And so you're investing, you're probably a I um, uh, can't think of the word accredited investor. So you're getting deals that other people don't have access to. So that's going to just start skyrocketing your net worth a lot faster than that 10 years it took you to build it. Um, so that's when you need to call someone like me to say, okay, we're now at this level. Like we still do, I want your listeners to get it wrong. We still set up people with basic LLCs and work them through the process. Um, but when you would be talking, you know, want to talk about exemption planning or offshore jurisdictions. That comes to about that 3.5 million range because all of a sudden your net worth is going to go from 3.5 to 5 to 10 very fast. And you need to already be ahead of the game um, and have the systems in place before that. You talk about asset protection trusts or
0: asset protection exemptions. You want, to, you want to talk a little bit about what those exemptions are for, for high net worth individuals?
1: Yeah, so exemption planning is one of the main staples besides jurisdiction selection. And the reason we start with exemption planning is because an exemption, like I said before, is a right. Um, You have it under the law, it's automatically protected. And now exemptions are going to vary state by state. And it's also an advanced form of asset protection. So your listeners are going to have to go and talk to their lawyers and see what those are. And not all lawyers are going to be familiar with exemption planning, unfortunately. Um, But for your listeners, a great example of an exemption is florida and texas homestead exemptions um for example in florida your home regardless of its value is going to be absolutely protected from creditors so long as it's contained within one fourth of an acre um what an exemption is like i said it's an absolute right period it's how the famous nfl football player oj simpson kept his mansion and his nfl pension plan um you know like most people know he was the you know charged with murder, acquitted, but then the family came after him and sued him in a civil lawsuit. Right. And they won a wrongful death claim and they took him for everything he had, even his Heisman Trophy, but they couldn't get his NFL pension plan because it was a federal exemption and they couldn't get his mansion because it was a Florida state exemption.
0: Mm. Even, so, though, even though the mansion
1: was in California? He had a Florida property. Oh, I've got a Florida property. Okay. Yeah, that was his Florida mansion that he had there. And so, and I'm sure, you know, like you have a high percentage of California listeners and you know, like when we were shooting the breeze beforehand, um, you mentioned that you were also in California. And so the great thing for them is that, you know, you live in a great state that surprisingly is the only state to grant full exemption protection for an asset that qualifies for being placed in what's called a private retirement plan. And it was this was codified um, way back in the '70s under Code Section Seven Hundred Four Point One One Five, and so it's been around for a really long time, like forty-five years and so um, when you talk about adding value for your listeners this is one of the ways that we do it with exemption planning specifically for california residents um just in the last 24 months we've been able to protect over 600 million dollars in assets saved over 45 million in tax savings um just by working with the trust administrators on what to do what buckets to put their assets in and finding those missed tax benefits and tax credits and so also, mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the nice things about exemption planning is that once that assets qualified as an exempt asset, nothing crazy or elaborate needs to be done to protect it. It's exempt. That's it. And then because these plans are tax neutral, you can invest in anything you want. Like you can, you know, you can protect a lot of cash, real estate portfolios, life insurance, private equity, um, ownership and like LLC stocks and member, you know, your stocks and membership interest. Um, and for those listeners who like, you know, a lot of cash flow and property and real estate investors, we can make a private retirement plan that creates distributions that meet their lifestyle and need to live off of. Hmm. This is partly because these plans aren't limited like normal government or RISA plans um, that are regular, you know, like regularly regulated retirement plans like 401ks and things like that. That's because this is a specific California state created um, plan. And so what this means is that there's no age 59.5 age limit for distributions. You set your own age based off of statistical metrics and then the trust administrators do the actuarial statistic funding analysis for it. And the trust administrators are also, like I said, great at finding those missing tax benefits and credits. And the one other really beautiful thing about exemption planning uh, that most, uh, that's mostly overlooked is that you also get to actually protect the uh, future value of your assets. And so a lot of businesses and real estate all have future value. You, know, like you don't buy a piece of property or real estate now and then sell at the same price 10 years from now. Right. And so we're able to actually protect those future earnings. And so what we're doing is taking this actuarial calculation or this statistic, and then we take that amount and then we fill the gap that you currently have at age, you know, like whatever you are, to the determined retirement age that we have. And we take that amount and we fund it into the plan and it's protected. And so not everybody's gonna have that future amount of money sitting in their bank account, but let's say you own a business and that business is growing, or let's say you own some you know, uh, appreciating real estate, we can then actually go and fund it through those fun, you know, with those funds, and then we just put in and secure it with a promissory note until you sell that asset down the road. Interesting,
0: interesting. So you, who's providing those funds to put it in there for the promissory note?
1: So, for the, so, what we you do is you go and get you know, like a mortgage or something like that, and then you would put those funds in there, and then it's just secured by the note, and then, yeah.
0: G'day, guys. I want to interrupt today's episode as I'd like to take a moment to thank our wonderful sponsors. Without their continued support, we would not be able to bring you the most cracking real estate investment tips to help you be successful week in, week out. This month, we have partnered with a cracking, innovative peer-to-peer investment platform called Diversity Fund. At Diversity Fund, their goal is to reduce the wealth gap and enable everyday Americans to achieve financial freedom by investing directly into commercial real estate deals, specifically value-add multifamily. Now, the thing that sets Diversity Fund apart from other peer-to-peer investment platforms is that they offer high-quality investment opportunities without the usual cost of entry. You can invest with Diversity Fund for as little as 500 bucks. That's it. And the best part is that you're investing alongside operators who are the best in the business. So what are you waiting for? Start investing today and get access to deals that historically have only been available to the top 1%. To find out more, head to diversifund.com. That's ersyfund.com and use offer code invest in the U.S. when you sign up for an account and receive a $20 gift card when you make your first investment. That's diversityfund.com. Now back into the show. So talk, talk to me a little bit about the the offshore world you know it's a lot of you know everyone thinks when you got your money off your offshore bank accounts you think you're a crook or you're some sort of uh, Somali pirate um, or you're you're a Mexican drug dealer what, what who does it and why do they do it
1: yeah um, why you do it is not every you, not every state has great exemptions you know and sometimes if you have a great exemption possibility like in California not everything's going to qualify to fit into that private retirement exemption so then let's say you have 10 million net worth, and we can only fund 5 million into an exemption. How are we going to protect the rest of this 5 million? You know, there's additional protection, or you don't have that luxury, and you just need to protect 10, 50, you know, million, whatever that you have. And so, picking a jurisdiction to set your protection system up in is a really big issue, no matter what state or country you live in. Um, what jurisdiction means is that the laws and the rules that govern, you know, you and trusts and business entities are all different from one jurisdiction to another one state to another one country to another. And so basically what we're doing, even for your foreign investors is using, um, creating domestic LL and domestic LLC that would be owned by a special version of what we call a bridge trust. And then for your foreign investors, we would use, we wouldn't use, um, a domestic version of this trust. We would just use the domestic version of this trust and leave it out. But for the U.S.-based listeners, we would use our domestic version of this trust. And I'll break down the bridge trust in detail in a minute. But the reason we prefer setting these trusts up offshore in another country like the Cook Islands is just because they offer the best home field court advantage that you can have. And the power of the Foreign Offshore Trust is because they have what's called statutory non-recognition of any jurisdictional, you know, other, other states or countries' court orders. They're just going to ignore it and tell you to go pound sand. And so what you would have to do is if you were to be sued in the Cook Islands and start that case all over is you, the plaintiff or the person that's suing someone, would have to start your case all over from scratch, facing the highest legal standard in the world, the murder standard, which is beyond the reasonable doubt. And then the plaintiff has to front the court cost up front, plus flying a judge from New Zealand. And, right, it's, hard, it's, it's, it's really hard to sue somebody and win in the Cook Islands. Right. The claim isn't amendable, meaning once you file your complaint, that's it. You can't go back and change and amend the complaint, for example, like you can in the U.S. once discovery ends. Um, if you lose, you pay. And so with the burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt, whoever's attacking you and trying to sue you in the Cook Islands and has the money to actually try to do this most likely are going to lose. So they're going to be paying your legal costs. And there's only a one-year statute of limitations. So by the time they even realize, oh, hey, shoot, I have to go sue this person in the Cook Islands, most likely that statute of limitations is already ran. Got it. Got it. And so what,
0: can I own US real estate and put it in a, tr- in a trust in the Cook Islands?
1: Yes, it, you can. And so the bridge trust is a grantor trust. And there are two options with this. You know, like if you're... Investor, you know, if you're a foreign investor and you're not based in the U.S., um, you'd have to look at where the U.S. tax ba- tax payer is going to be. Um, and if there are foreign investors investing funds in the U.S., then we're not going to use that version of it. We're not going to use a grantor trust. But if they are a U.S. taxpayer, then we're just going to use our standard grantor trust. So it's just a matter of, you know, for your listeners, I know you have foreign and non-foreign listeners. It's just understanding: Are you a U.S. taxpayer or are you not? And like all asset protection trust, it's a self-settled spendthrift trust. And what this means is that they're self-settled, meaning by you for yourself as your own beneficiary. And then the win-win here and the value is for the purpose of the IRS reporting and disclosure um, laws, the bridge trust, though it's a foreign trust, is actually considered domestic and not foreign. And this is because it's specifically drafted to me the two-part test um, under USC, um, USC section 7701 called a court test and a control test. And so for your non-CPAs and non-lawyers out there, why you actually care about this part is for tax purposes. So what this means is none of the foreign IRS filings or asset disclosures of any kind, um, and it's cheaper and the costs are actually going to be easier to maintain. Um, But for protection purposes, you also know how the strength of the Cook Islands in your back pocket if and when you ever need it. Um, So you have the domestic component of it here in the U S and then we already pre-established the trust, you know, the Cook Island trust um, account with the Cook Island trustee, and it's just sitting there on the back burner. If and when it's ever needed and triggered, and then all the U.S., you know, everything that's in the U.S. trust, the domestic side of it, on that triggering event, automatically then goes to the Cook Islands until the threat goes away.
0: Interesting, very, very interesting. Because I know when I'm when I talk to international investors, the biggest thing that I get them to do is come and start. Uh, an LLC in Wyoming or Delaware, wherever they can start it. I introduce them to, to local uh, CPAs who can get that started and they just do a, a simple open bank accounts here in the United States and they, then they transfer their money using foreign exchange companies uh, and it's pretty you know, low costs, maybe a couple of grand to get it all set up, You know, get an ITIN number once you've identified the property and off you go. Is there a different way or a more sophisticated way in order to maybe avoid paying taxes? Because I know a couple of uh, Australian, um, for example, the 1031 ex- exchange, you know, like it's not, ident- it's not um, identified in the ATO, the Australian tax office, as something that you can not, not be taxed on. So if you yeah. sell an asset in the United States and you want to buy another asset, you may be liable in Australia for the, you know, for, for capital gains tax on foreign U.S. Uh, um, real estate. So, is there any different ways in which you know ideas out there they can give those listers that might want to invest here? They've gone just the typical LLC and, and a very low-barrier to entry, found an asset, got an ITIN number, um, ticked all the boxes, got a CPA in the states to 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 avoid the, you know, because I know some some U.S. IRA, IRS, I should say um you know chapters aren't,
1: aren't applicable uh, overseas yeah and so i i would say like one asset protection is set up to be tax neutral because otherwise you get into fraud and fraudulent transfers issues but that's a good thing because then you're not limited especially for like exemptions um, on what you can and can't invest in, um, but it doesn't mean you're not going to get any tax benefits from it because you're always going to get tax benefits when you take things out of your personal name and put them into different, you know, business entities or trusts, um, different types of trust. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would say for your foreign investors is, is like you're going to still have the same liability in the U.S. even though you're, you know, if you want a U.S. property and something happens on that property, you're still going to get sued. So yep. you still need to protect yourself. Um, so the liability and the tax is going to be the same. Um, but the one thing that they really need to pay attention to is estate death taxes. Because if you own something in the US and then you die, the US is still going to try to go after you know, the death taxes. And if, and if you're not set up properly, like those can get up to like 60%. Wow.
0: After yeah, someone so,
1: passes away, you can't, you can't just pass it on to your heirs or... Not if you real- own it personally in your own name. That's the whole point of having trust um, right. is to avoid probate in the courts and then just you know, like a quick straight line um, transfer.
0: But and if, if those,
1: you, for those layman people out there, what's the difference between a trust and an LLC
0: or a corporation?
1: Yeah, yeah. So a corporate it's just a corporate one is a corporate entity and one is not. One's just a legal document that we transfer property out of your personal name into. And they're just basically like a holding piece of paper. Like quick, you know, layman's, you know, quick way to describe it. It's just we transfer your ownership of your real estate out of your personal name into a trust, which then you can delineate beneficiaries to and add in different clauses like spendthrift clauses that says creditors can't come and get, you know, access to what I own in this trust versus, you know, a business entity. It's just a business. You own shares of that. Um, Those can be pierced. They offer some liability protection, but then like we discussed earlier, they're limited and you can outgrow them. Got it. Got it.
0: Okay. And then so the biggest piece of advice, any steps like to, that someone can self-reflect on right now listening to this show thinking, huh, this is interesting what Brian's saying. I should look at my own situation. Is it purely just from a net worth point of view or do they need to look more deeper and say, okay, I've got these LLC set up. Maybe I need to roll it up into a trust.
1: Yeah, I would just, you know, I would look at what is all my maintenance? What's my net worth? What's my, you know, all the maintenance, if I have a bunch of LLCs already going, is it starting to get difficult for me to maintain? Is it starting difficult for my CPA or my financial advisor to do all of this? Maybe we now need to streamline something and pay a little bit more upfront, you know, like 17,000, 30,000, depending on the exemption or offshore trust to then make a lot of more money, make a streamlined process. Um, make it more functional, more protection, and then accelerate the growth a little bit more. Um, what's your risk that you have? You know, are you a business owner that has employees? Are you a doctor with a high malpractice probability? or professional athlete? So it all just depends on, or are you just, you know, like one of some of my favorite clients, Joe Schmo neighbor, like, you know, my wife works in the medical field, nurse practitioner. Um, about 10 years ago, we found out one of our friends that she worked with a nurse, Multi-millionaire because he was just, you know, investing in real estate and, you know, just was a good investor. And so you, people like that, you know, your neighbors, your, you know, your nurses, your, you know, cops, firefighters who take the retirement in their own hand need to say, okay, I need to now protect this because it's for my retirement. I need to look at where am I vulnerable of being sued at? How much is my outward costs? You know, how much my maintenance cost I'm spending on? Um, what's my, intended investment strategy. And now do I need to make any additions to simplify my life? Or do I need to add another team member to take a hat off of me so I can do what I'm good at finding deals, closing deals. Lawyers are good at doing, you know, the legal documents. Agents are good at finding you your deals that you want. Trust administrators are good at overseeing the administration of the trust and finding tax benefits. So maybe you now need a better team. Right. And in terms of the cost of the upfront cost
0: commitment, LLC is quite cheap and they're, they're low maintenance. What do you, is it 10 times, you know, three times? What's the sort of rough difference to, um, or is it more based on your net worth uh, getting some of this stuff set up?
1: I think it's going to depend on the firm. Like for us, we just think it's easier to just offer a ba- you know a base price. So for you know for example, you'll find exemption plannings will go somewhere between um, 15,000 and 20,000, depending on the firm that you go to. Offshore accounts, you know, like Cook Island jurisdiction, um, asset protection account, um, trust, you'll find probably anywhere from 20, I think, that, you know, the average twenty-two to $35,000 um, to set up. And then the carrying costs, like the annual costs um, for us, you know, for the exemption planning is $45,000, um, not $45,000, 4500 um, annually to maintain, you know, the trust, the exemption plan. Um Generally, it's going to be about, I think, $2,500 for the um, offshore account. But then if it goes foreign, purely foreign and not domestic, then it can get more expensive. You can see the prices go from 5 to 10 And that's one of the benefits of actually using our bridge trust is if you can keep it domestic, you want to be domestic. You just want to have that offshore foreign Cook Island um, option in your back pocket for if and when you ever need it. And so I would always say like, if you don't have to go foreign right away, don't go foreign right away. Have it in your back pocket. Only about 5% of our clients, we have to go foreign right away. It's just because it works. It's more, um, they have a higher immediate liability, um, higher threat um, right, right away. Um, so it just makes more sense for them.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Is there anything I didn't ask uh, about asset protection that you wanted to share with the listeners?
1: Yeah, I think um, insurance would be a really good, yeah. Is a really? yeah, where, where insurance falls in on this is a big uh, issue. I think there's a lot of misconception on where ins- what you can rely on, insurance or not. Um, insurance is a great place to start and it is a form of asset protection. And it's just not the end place that you want to be. And I see a lot of clients having a false sense of security thinking that, Hey, if I get sued, I can solely rely on my insurance to cover me um, for any damages. And this just is not the case. Um, But I do recommend every person have insurance, get insurance. If you want an umbrella policy, um, go and get one of those. But you also need to understand, read your, uh, you know, read the fine print, read your uh, insurance policy yourself. Know what's not covered, know what your claim limits are and, Pretty much, I'd say 99% of the people don't do that. So they have no idea <laughs> what's covered, what's not covered, what's in the fine print and what the claim limits are. Right, right. And, and, yeah. and so when you're
0: advising clients doing the asset protection stuff, offshore stuff, are you also advising on the insurance side of it as well as a form of asset protection like you yeah, mentioned before?
1: Yeah. So, you know, If you're owning a US property or a US business or something like that, you know, like you're going to need insurance. So we're probably also going to say, like, do you plan on getting insurance? You know, um, where are you with this? Uh, if a US based client comes in, like, do you know, you know, who's your insurance provider or not? We'll review the insurance claim um, limits and all of that. So we know what they're dealing with. Um, and so I always say, you know, a good place to start is actually first to understand that, you know, if real estate and business owning is like the most heavy litigated area of law there are, especially in the US. Um, so there's just, there's just too many ways to get sued. Um, so what you need to understand is really, it's not a matter of when, but in what condition you're going to be in to defend yourself if you ever are soon. And then how are you going to get people to negotiating table really fast? And then they also, your listeners also really need to understand that insurance companies don't cover you for fraud punitive damages or intentional wrongdoings. um, They're not going to pay claims that are the direct result of unlawful acts at the end of the day. Like that's what we're trying to get to the point of. So what your listeners really need to understand is just the the basic concept of insurance defense. And this is that you can be sued. And then from the very first statement or a communication or email that you ever made, um, those are going to be used against you in court and judges are going to look at those and say, well, these are statements. Statements are intentional acts. So now these are all gonna be considered intentional acts. And what your insurance provider is gonna say now is that, well, we're not gonna cover you in a case where you potentially did some intentional wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. And then they're gonna say, if you don't agree with us, why don't you go and sue us also? And they're gonna try to create legal separation from you. And that's gonna be through these intentional acts and wrongdoing arguments. And so that's how the game is played when it comes to insurance. Like You need to have it, I'm an advocate for it. You just need to know its limitations, its place, and that it's not good enough. You need something additional, and that's asset protection. Got it, got it. So the
0: combination of insurance and asset protection uh, combined with some of these trusts, maybe domestic and offshore, is a way in which you can protect, along with the exemptions, I must add, uh, because yeah. you also got to understand the exemption side of it to see what you're eligible for, right? So um, anything else that, they, that, that listeners can, can take away from this chat today with you about asset protection?
1: Yeah, you got, um, You need to be proactive. Don't set, think that you can set this stuff up after you're being sued or um, when something wrong has happened because the judges will look at this and say, no, we're going to analyze this through fraudulent conveyance. Um, so you need to set these up when there is nothing going wrong, you know, like when everything's nice and peaceful and calm. But unfortunately, uh, that's counterintuitive to human nature. Most people are like, oh my God, I'm getting sued now. How do I not pay somebody? Um, or they wait till the worst case scenario. Um, there's generally things that we can do with clients in those stages and we can protect some of the assets and there's ways we go about doing it. Um, I would just say the best case scenario, come and talk to us or talk to your asset protection attorney, find one when you don't need one. Then the judges and the courts are going to say, this is acceptable and we like this. Right.
0: Awesome stuff, man. Well, I think it's, it's extremely uh, you know, knowledgeable, all the information you brought to the table today. But also, one of the big things is that you've got to have the right team members on board in order to be protected in the right way, because some people just don't understand that. And, and that's okay. That's why they go and hire someone like yourself to ensure that they've got the right team members. Um, mate, uh, before, before we dive into the top five investing tips, What's really the uh, the future hold in twenty nineteen and beyond, both personally and from a business point of view?
1: Yeah, personally, I'm just trying to continue um, ramping up my practice and adding more affiliates. I like working with uh, affiliate law firms, um, so that's kind of my my you know next stage of for business wise. And then just trying to you know enjoy life. I got two little girls, you know, one year old and a three year old. So trying to spend as much time with them as possible.
0: Awesome. Awesome.
1: Well, mate, um, I wanna ask
0: you to get into the top five investing tips, ready to do it? Yeah. Mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals?
1: Uh, On my goals, (laughs) I just always, that's a good question. Like my my normal practice is I get up, I look at the stock market, I look at my financials, get through as many of my emails before I have to start my day. (laughs) Possible. So I'm not lost in the priorities of what I need to get done. So I get rid of all the junk and reprioritize the existing emails in there, just so I have a good structure of the beginning of my day. So my beginning of my day doesn't work and flow very well, then the whole day is just going to fall apart. Right, right. No, it's so important. I
0: get email anxiety sometimes when I wake up and see the inbox full of like 150 emails yeah. and like, go, oh gosh, what's all this? But half of it's usually rubbish. <laughs> Do you put any um, uh, filters in place that you know an, an assistant can sort of take care of? And, and so they, they only trickle to you when they're really, really important?
1: Yeah. So I've been starting to um, get into CRMs for law firms. And so right. that's kind of the next next stage i'm trying to get into also is you know i think as when you build something up from yourself like one of the other you know tips is you got to start bringing in team members or finding how technology is going to fit into into play and so my next strategy is i've already created lines of barriers so i'm not always having to pick up the phone or having it you know direct access to me so it's a matter of picking up you know filters having an assistant you know prioritize my day um and then relying on crms to kind of get my life on Track, awesome, awesome, man. Um, who is the most influential person in your career to date? In my career, so I have a couple of really great professional mentors: um, Doug Laudmill, Jeff Redon, and Ray Omo. And those guys have been in the asset protection game for—I mean, they created it. You know, I mean, I'm not going to give away their age. And <laughs> <laughs> but you know, for you know, they call, keep calling me a young buck. And so, like for a young buck like me coming up for those guys who literally wrote the books that other people and teaching all the seminars um to be able to have them on my you know immediate reply list is really nice and they you know shoot the breeze with me on what to do think about this different aspects of it so i'm really lucky to have great mentors
0: that's awesome that's awesome i'm sure in your business you would have uh the most influential tool uh what is it it could be either a software or could be hardware related uh what 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 do you use in your day-to-day
1: on um, my day to day, I don't really have a uh, cloud, you know, system right now where I said would probably be my next best friend. Um, but in, in my day to day, my iPhone, like yep. I can't function off my whole life evolves around having my phone on me. Um just because what I do, I do everywhere. And so I have clients calling, emails coming in, and without my phone and access to it, um all the apps that I have on there, I would have an inability to function. Awesome. Awesome. Um
0: what has been the biggest failure in your career to date? And, and what was, in one sentence, what, was, what did you learn from that failure?
1: Um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't really classify things as failures. So um, I think the hardest thing I had to go through professionally was when I first started out um, in a really, you know, like the worst economy since the you know, Great Depression. And I just had to figure out how to pivot, how to keep going. Because honestly, most attorneys that came out of that time frame don't practice law anymore. Mm. Um, there were no jobs. So we were called in like that three-year span, to lost, you know, the lost law school class. And so I just realized, jump into the deep end of the pool, grit it out, figure it out, and um, learn as you go and pivot. Yep. And yeah, Love it, love it.
0: Mate, uh, last question. Uh, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. They want to find out a little bit more about asset protection, maybe even go offshore.
1: Where do they go? Yeah, so you can, I have tons of educational information and videos on my website, www.btblegal.com. You can email me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N at btblegal.com and we do free consultations i don't think you know i used to charge for consultations but i always think that people need access to information to make educated decisions and time and so you go in you jump on our diagnostic calculator right there it'll generate uh, get printed out they'll get a copy a copy will get sent to me um you can review all my educational videos and then we jump on a phone call once i get that diagnostic and you're not going to we're not going to bill you for it because i just feel even if you're gonna go with somebody else, have good information and have the information in front of you. That's awesome, that's awesome.
0: Well, I wanna thank you so much for jumping on today's show. A couple of the takeaway tips and advice that I took, I took away from this conversation was the ability to pivot. I think your number one trait with you was able to re- roll up the sleeves, get a bit dirty, Go into that law firm and say, "Hey, I'm gonna. I am i, I don't, I've been. I've graduated in the worst economy since the Great Depression, and you're able to find a way to make it happen." So I think kudos to you. But in terms of the asset protection side, it's really what you said earlier, and that's be proactive now. If you're listening to this show and you're thinking that you're gonna need some higher level uh, asset protection, than rather than just an LLC, uh, go and have a chat with Brian. And I think that also understanding the insurance side of it, um, so it's combined together, can help help you not be uh, pinged and. Is that veil, and I come after you from a personal point of view, uh, Brian? Did I, I leave anything out, mate? No,
1: I'd say one other great one is don't think you can DIY this because right. you're not a lawyer, you're not a CPA. You know, you're probably not a financial advisor. So if you DIY this on yourself, you're going to probably mess this up. And when you do get sued, it's going to crumble. Um, and it's a hard thing for you know entrepreneurs to not want to do, and right. they fight fight that urge. You know, like have your team. You have it for a reason.
0: Use it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, mate, thank you so much for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up soon. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Well, there you have it, another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice where Brian has given about asset protection. Please make sure you head over to his website to check out all the awesome informational videos uh, and to do that little test because I'm sure a lot of people listening to this show will be very surprised once they do that little test to see how much asset protection they probably need right now today. I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. If you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is give us a five-star review on iTunes, and we're going to do it all again next week. So be bold, be brave, and remember, go give life a crack.